Hi, I'm Mike Paul, and welcome to this podcast of articles from Ars Technica, a presentation of Airs LA, the audio internet reading service of Los Angeles. You're listening to a recording provided for the use of the blind and print impaired. Materials or items read on Airs LA are the copyright property of the original authors and publishers. No unauthorized use or duplication is permitted. We have three articles for you today. Our first article is by Dan Gooden, published on December 6, 2021. SolarWinds hackers have a whole bag of new tricks for mass compromise attacks. Almost exactly a year ago, security researchers uncovered one of the worst data breaches in modern history, if not ever a Kremlin-backed hacking campaign that compromised the servers of network management provider SolarWinds, and from there, the networks of 100 of its highest-profile customers, including nine U.S. federal agencies. Nobelium, the name Microsoft gave to the intruders, was eventually expelled, but the group never gave up, and arguably has only become more brazen and adept at hacking large numbers of targets in a single stroke. The latest reminder of the group's proficiency comes from security firm Mandiant, which on Monday published research detailing Nobelium's numerous feats and a few mistakes as it continued to breach the networks of some of its highest value targets. One of the things that made Nobelium so formidable was the creativity of its TTPs, hacker lingo for tactics, techniques, and procedures. Rather than breaking into each target one by one, the group hacked into the network of SolarWinds and used the access and the trust customers had in the company to push a malicious update to roughly 18,000 of its customers. Almost instantly, the hackers could intrude into the networks of all of those entities. It would be similar to a burglar breaking into a locksmith's premises and obtaining a master key that opened the doors of every building in the neighborhood, sparing the hassle of having to jimmy open each lock. Not only was Nobelium's method scalable and efficient, it also made the mass compromises much easier to conceal. Mandiant's report showed that Nobelium's ingenuity hasn't wavered. Since last year, company researchers say the two hacking groups linked to the SolarWinds hack, one called UNC-3004 and the other, UNC-2652, have continued to devise new ways to compromise large numbers of targets in an efficient manner. Instead of poisoning the supply chain of SolarWinds, the groups compromised the networks of cloud solution providers and managed service providers, or CSPs, which are outsourced third-party companies that many large companies rely on for a wide range of IT services. The hackers then found clever ways to use those compromised providers to intrude upon their customers. This intrusion activity reflects a well-resourced threat actor set operating with a high level of concern for operational security, Monday's report said. The abuse of a third party, in this case a CSP, can facilitate access to a wide scope of potential victims through a single compromise. The advanced tradecraft didn't stop there. According to Mandiant, other advanced tactics and ingenuities included 
Use of credentials stolen by financially motivated hackers using malware, such as CryptBot, an information stealer that harvests system and web browser credentials and cryptocurrency wallets. The assistance from these hackers allowed the UNC-3004 and UNC-2652 to compromise targets even when they didn't use the hacked service provider. Once the hacker groups were inside a network, they compromised enterprise spam filters or other software with application impersonation privileges, which have the ability to access email or other types of data from any other account in the compromised network. Hacking this single account saved the hassle of having to break into each account individually. The abuse of legitimate residential proxy services or geolocated cloud providers such as Azure to connect to end targets. When admins of the hacked companies reviewed access logs, they saw connections coming from local ISPs with good reputations or cloud providers that were in the same geography as the companies. This helped disguise the intrusions since nation-sponsored hackers frequently use dedicated IP addresses that arouse suspicions. Clever ways to bypass security restrictions, such as extracting virtual machines to determine internal routing configurations of the networks they wanted to hack. Gaining access to an active directory stored in a target's Azure account and using this all-powerful administration to steal cryptographic keys that would generate tokens that could bypass two-factor authentication protections. This technique gave the intruders what's known as a golden SAML, which is akin to a skeleton key that unlocks every service that uses the security assertion markup language, or SAML, which is the protocol that makes single sign-on two-factor authentication, and other security mechanisms work. And finally, use of a custom downloader, dubbed C-loader. In an interview, Doug Beanstalk, one of the report authors and a Mandiant manager who has responded to multiple compromises by the hacking groups, said the SolarWinds-related hackers are among the most difficult he has ever encountered. He said, what is unique and challenging is their toolbox seems to grow every month. Every time we are engaged by a system with a Nobelium-related breach, we almost always find a new tactic, a new tool in their toolbox. And that, I think, is a pretty unique. The speed at which this group can iterate, uh, can add new tools, can find new ways to get around defenses. That's pretty unique, the speed at which they do it and how adept they are. The report in large part echoes previous research findings. Last December, security firm Velexity detailed how Nobelium, after gaining administrator privileges on a target's network, was able to bypass multi-factor authentication by using those unfettered rights to steal a cryptographic key from a server running Outlook web app, which enterprises use to provide account authentication for various network services. And in October, Microsoft reported that Nobelium-linked hackers compromised cloud service providers in the U.S. and Europe to exploit existing technical trust relationships between the provider organizations and the governments, think tanks, and other companies they serve. One of Nobelium's trademarks is its top-notch operational security, which makes it hard for defenders to detect attacks until it's too late and even then leaves few traces for defenders to find afterward. 
Even so, the group, like all hackers, makes mistakes. One such error occurred when the hackers attempted to use binaries to upload files to the mega cloud storage provider. The tool, deployed in the temp folder as mt.exe and mtt.exe, failed to execute because of a bug that occurred when the binary was renamed. Monday's report adds a few new TTPs and further details about other previously known TTPs. For instance, the Mandiant researchers write, Initial Compromise Compromise of Cloud Solution Providers Mandiant has identified multiple instances where the threat actor compromised service providers and used the privileged access and credentials belonging to those providers to compromise downstream providers. In at least one instance, the threat actor identified and compromised a local VPN account and made use of this VPN account to perform reconnaissance and gain further access to internal resources within the victim CSP's environment, which ultimately led to the compromise of internal domain accounts. Access obtained from InfoStealer malware campaign. Mandiant identified a campaign where the threat actors gained access to the target organization's Microsoft 365 account using a stolen session token. Mandiant analyzed the workstations belonging to the end user and discovered that some systems had been infected with CryptBot, an InfoStealer malware, shortly before the stolen session token was generated. There are also some fascinating details about how the hackers use a compromised active directory inside a hacked CSP to gain a toehold into the customer's network. The technique used RBAC, short for Role-Based Access Control, which CSPs use to access the networks they serve. Once inside the customer's network, the hackers escalated their privileges by accessing internal memory storing the cryptographic secrets used by the LSASS, short for Local Security Authority Subsystem Service, which verifies users logging into Windows accounts, handles password changes, and creates access tokens used to access accounts once a password is entered. The Kremlin-backed groups also were adept at defeating network filtering in place between CSPs and their downstream customers. To identify systems in the CSP network that were authorized to access customer networks, the hackers exported a particular virtual machine that may have contained network configuration information. They then used a combination of PowerCLI, short for the PowerShell-based command line interface, which people use to manage VMware, vSphere devices, and custom scripts to perform the export. These excerpts from the report are only a sampling of the insights Mandiant has gleaned after responding to hacks by these groups. The report in its entirety should be required reading for anyone defending networks against advanced hackers. Our second article is by Tim DeChant, published on December 2nd, 2021. Show me state governor hid data showing that masks work. As the Delta wave rose in Missouri last summer, much of the state remained unmasked. Four jurisdictions, though, restored their mask mandates, creating a natural experiment that was studied by the state's Department of Health and Senior Services. 
It confirmed that, in cities and counties with mandates, masks significantly reduced infections and deaths from COVID. Yet, Governor Mike Parson's office, which had requested the data, kept it hidden from the public, according to a new report from the Missouri Independent. The data was initially requested by Alex Tuttle, Governor Parson's legislative liaison for DHSS, on November 1, 2021. Can you provide examples of local mandates and how those mandates impacted the spread of COVID in those areas? He wrote. In just 48 hours, DHSS had an answer for him. I think we can say with great confidence reviewing the public health literature and then looking at the results in your study that communities where masks were required had a lower positivity rate per 100,000 and experienced lower death rates, DHSS Director Donald Kauroff wrote. The Delta variant was first detected in wastewater in Branson by researchers from the University of Missouri. As the more transmissible variant began to spread, it fueled a wave of new infections that spurred the state to issue a hotspot advisory on July 19th. A week later, St. Louis and St. Louis County both declared mask mandates, and Kansas City and Jackson County followed soon after. Before the Delta wave hit, COVID variants were about equal across the state, but the curves started to diverge after the mandates went into effect. The rate of increase in new cases began to taper off in masked jurisdictions, while the rate in unmasked areas continued rising before finally peaking in mid-August. The analysis spanned the end of April 2021, just before Delta was detected in the state, to the end of October 2021, just before the governor's office requested the data. In that time, the average case rate in masked jurisdictions was 27% lower, 15.8 cases per day per 100,000 residents, compared with 21.7 cases per day per 100,000 residents. Death rates were similarly lower, with 0.2 per 100,000 residents per day in masked communities versus 0.28 per 100,000 residents per day in unmasked communities. Though the governor's office has been in possession of the data for a month, it hasn't released any of it to the public. The DHSS's analysis and related emails came to light after a Sunshine Law request by the Missouri Independent and the Documenting COVID-19 Project. Governor Parson has railed against masks in the past, and despite the new evidence, Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt is continuing his lawsuits against St. Louis, St. Louis County, Kansas City, and Jackson County over their mask mandates, which he called arbitrary, capricious, unlawful, and unconstitutional. Kansas City's mandate expired on November 5th for everywhere but schools and school buses, and Jackson County's legislature voted to end its mandate three weeks ago. St. Louis and St. Louis County have maintained their mandates in the face of Schmidt's lawsuits. More than anything, the data confirms for us what our public health experts have been saying, a spokesperson for St. Louis Mayor Tishuara Jones told the Missouri Independent. Masks are an effective tool at reducing community transmission. Our third and final article is by Andrew Cunningham, published on December 3rd, 2021. Microsoft restores individual default browser setting in Windows 11 preview. 
It's been a rough week for Microsoft Edge's browser in the court of public opinion, as users grumbled about the addition of a controversial buy-now-pay-later financing feature and another layer of pop-up messages that tries to dissuade users from installing Google Chrome. But Microsoft isn't totally unresponsive to user criticism when it comes to Edge. The latest dev channel, Windows Insider build of Windows 11, restores a button in the Settings app for setting your default browser, something that existed in Windows 10 but is missing from the current stable version of Windows 11. The change, originally spotted by developer Rafael Rivera, adds the default browser button to the top of the Settings app when you navigate to any browser in the Default Apps section. The button automatically changes the default app for opening HTTP, HTTPS, .htm, and .html files and links instead of making users change each of these associations manually or relying on browser makers to build that capability into their browsers themselves. For all the other file types that Microsoft Edge can handle, including PDFs, SVG files, and others, you'll still need to change those associations manually and one at a time. But this is already how the default browser button worked in Windows 10, so it at least represents a reversion to the previous Windows 11 status quo rather than a new hurdle to jump over. Features being tested in the dev channel builds of Windows are usually destined for the operating system's next major servicing update, which for Windows 11 will happen sometime in the fall of 2022. Recent builds have begun to address some common complaints about Windows 11's user interface changes, including tweaks to the Start menu and Taskbar. Well, that brings us to the end of today's articles. To find out more about Airs LA and the types of programs we offer, follow us at facebook.com slash AirsLA. If you like what's there, please hit the like button. Music for this podcast is provided by Hot Fire. I'm Mike Paul, and I'll be back soon with more stories from Ars Technica. Thanks for listening. Hmm.